You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Hey, and turn to the person next to you and say, we need you. So we're so grateful to what is happening. You heard in that announcement, short-term solutions and long-term. So that's our short-term solution. What's the long-term? Many people would say, well, what's the possibility of doing some expansions and such? And we've been very quiet about this, but we have been uh, in the process with our county since April. Uh, If you don't understand that things move at a very unique pace in Fauquier County. So where are we at in this process? We have come up with a series of things that we think uh, will pass, uh, allowing our facility to be expanded at certain junctions and places. And so this past week, we met with the supervisor that that we are in his district and along with the county staff. And we have met before, you know, all the way back in April, but this particular meeting seems to be the junction at which we will be going to the planning commission. And if you aren't familiar with the processes of this county, that just means absolutely nothing to you. But planning commission is basically, they're gonna look at everything to make sure it follows the code. And from there, it gets referred to the supervisors for a vote. So we could be cleared for some expansions between the next two to four months. We thought we needed to tell you that because some of you work in the county government and you're gonna see the application. (laughs) And you're gonna go, well, why hasn't our pastor said something? We never want the county government to be your source of information from us. And I don't mean that in a bad way, it's just we think you ought to hear that from us first. So we're moving on two fronts. We're moving for some long-term solutions. We're also addressing this third service. And by the way, we had to do this uh, at New, or, uh, on Christmas Eve. We were anticipating that at Easter again. So if you're able to consider serving one Sunday a month, the sooner we can get some of these places filled, the sooner we can get that launched. And... Uh, Listen, I'm going to the gym so that I'm ready to preach three times. Okay, so if I can get ready, you can do your part. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right, so today is the last message on this series called Intentional Faith. And we're looking at the Gospel of Luke. Oh, by the way, I gotta pause, sorry. I forgot, very important. Next Sunday, I will be announcing congregational forums that you can come and learn what those future expansions are. No vote, just a, here's what we're doing. We're waiting for some details this week. We, if you're not a member, you can still come to that forum to see what we've got in the works, okay? And we'll have a variety of days. Every meeting will be the same agenda, but it's just to inform you. Everybody got that? And then at some point when we feel it's necessary, we will go through the process with this congregation. But it's strictly, everybody say strictly informational. Okay, got it, right? Just informational. Here's what we're asking the county to approve us for. So now we're gonna do this series, uh, wrap it up today, Intentional Faith. We're looking at Luke chapter 14. Would everybody stand for the reading of the word? And we're gonna read again verses 25 through 35, and I will bring some clarity on the part that we're gonna emphasize today. Let's begin. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whomever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if by the, the, you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Now, Jesus, I pray as we look at the word, and again, more than just understanding, we pray for influence and transformation in our life. We're here to be conformed to your image. We're here so that we represent you well in and through our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So, I'm gonna give it just a couple introductory remarks and you're looking at that probably thinking, haven't we covered all those scriptures? There's actually one that I skipped and we're gonna to get to that today. And it was about the one about give up everything. But before I get to that, it's important that I lay a foundation so that when we get to that text, you understand what it's actually referring to. Occasionally I say this, everybody read it, it says what? Yeah, text without context leads to pretext. So the first thing it's important to do is to find out what's the context that the verse was said and, what, and who the audience is and all those kinds of things. And so uh, what, is, what, is, what is context? Context includes the culture, the language, and the date. When was it written? What was the culture? What was going on in that particular culture at the time? And what particular language was utilized uh, in the New Testament it would have been Greek and in the, in the Old Testament it would have been Hebrew. So it's important to know those things so that once you establish that, you read the script and you go, okay, so now I have a better understanding of what this was speaking to. But I also want to share something else that is considered to be context. And it's this, context can also refer to the writer's structure. What do I mean by that? The, there's a tactic, there's a technique it's called stacking. Everybody say stacking. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what some people do in stacking, and it's not good. It's where they take a verse out of one book of the Bible, and they grab another verse out of another book of the Bible, and they grab another verse out of another book of the Bible, and they stack them. And they, they, they try to get it to say something, and you're like, you're taking three different verses from three different contexts, and you're parachuting it into your context, you can get that baby to say anything you want. 
It's important to know the context of each one of those verses. And so sometimes people do it unintentionally, and I get that. You know, you shouldn't be so scared of, oh, I don't want to misinterpret God's word that you wouldn't read it. No, no, you just need, it's a growing process. Please read the word. But you want to avoid sometimes the pitfalls. Like I say, stacking verses, and they're all from different backgrounds, and they're all from different contexts. But when you come to a particular book of the Bible like Luke, and by the way, we could also use this for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? They do the technique of stacking. You're going, I can't believe our pastor is talking about stacking. What does that got to do with the Bible? If you'll hang in there, you'll learn something here, okay? How many know that the New Testament, the Gospels, did you know that none of the Gospels were written in chronological order? Some of you went, what? Yeah, there's enough of the stories that appear to be in chronological order that you think everything that they wrote in there is chronological. You know, when Matthew starts with the birth of Jesus and ends with the resurrection of Jesus, how many know it's just easy to assume that everything in there is on a timeline? But it's not. Same thing with Luke. He starts with the birth of, actually, of John the Baptist, and then he starts with Jesus' birth, and then he concludes with the death and resurrection of Christ. It's easy to assume that everything in between there is chronologically in order. It's not. There was never the intent to communicate that. What they were each doing was addressing a question. Matthew was saying, let me show you Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, that was the thesis. Luke is telling Gentiles, let me show you that Jesus is the son of God. He's not a God among the Roman gods. He is the God. He is the God that everybody is looking for. So they tell stories that Jesus did. They recount his teachings out of chronological order because they're trying to prove that point. Everybody got me? Okay, so they, they stack the stories to prove the point. So it's important for us when we read this verse that says that give up everything. You know, it's easy for us sitting in America going, is this where the pastor tells us to throw all of our credit cards and checkbooks into the offering? Because I got a house payment due this week. You know, no, see, that's what I'm saying. You, you, if you don't understand the context, and in this one, to understand the context, you actually have to back up in the gospel of Luke because he is showing how Jesus gave up everything, okay, to do what he was doing. And Jesus is saying, I'm asking my disciples to do the same thing. Now, again, it's easy for us to say, so I'm just supposed to like just give it all and, you know, and not worry about my house payment this week and I don't know where my family will get their next meal. I'm supposed to just trust God and put, no, see, it's taken out of context. That's not, that's not even remotely what that verse is talking about. What the, what the verse is talking about is giving up the values, the morals, the momentums that Rome was pumping into the society of today. Give up the values. It doesn't matter what Rome says is a marriage. It doesn't matter what Rome says is sexuality. It doesn't say what Rome says is okay. We give up everything that Rome is telling us. We give up the legalism of Judaism. That supposedly if I'm perfect and I get it all right, that God will take me. God will accept, no. We're, we're giving up everything. Worldview values everything to be a follower of Jesus. 
See, that's really potent for us to understand today because we have a lot of people who are trying to merge American values with Christianity. And let's be honest, the values of American society are headed the wrong direction. There's no merging of Christianity values and American values on so many places anymore. You have to make a choice. There's no merging of the two. And the Christians were facing the same thing. But Rome says we have to, and Jesus was saying, give it up. Yeah, but Judaism says, and Jesus says, give it up. Everything. Now, Jesus modeled what everything looked like as we back up into the scripture, okay? So let's look at this. this I showed this last week. In this text, he talks about the family. Now, I'm gonna just touch on that briefly because I know we have new people and I don't want them to get confused. Like, you people hate your families? Okay. In the Eastern world, you accepted the faith that you were born into, the family. Whatever the family's faith was when you were born, that was your faith. If you went against that faith, if you left the faith, it would, you would be considered as dead. They would confront you if you would not recant. You were considered dead. They would see you but never acknowledge you. You didn't have a chance to have a few days to get your act together. You were looking for a bed that night. You were cast out of the family's life. By the way, there's many places in the Eastern world where this is practiced today. How many have heard of the concept honor killings? Please don't act like you've never heard of that before. It's where when a family member has said, I'm no longer gonna adhere to this particular faith because I align myself with something else. Some families have actually put hits out on their own family members because by turning against the faith, they've embarrassed the family. And so there's an honor killing. That's the content. And Jesus says, yeah, I expect you. The family says you hate them. Your family says that you are, Jesus said, okay, I expect you to do that and turn away and follow me. And the next verse he says, I want you to carry your cross. Wow. Because some in their faith were actually crucified. And Jesus says, I expect you, if put on the spot, to carry your cross. Not just allow yourself to be crucified on a cross. I actually want you to volunteer to carry it. Notice how still it is in here. I promise we'll end on a high note. And then he talks about building a tower and going to war. Let's weigh the cost about what the decision that you are about to make regards to your faith. And then he says, give up everything. Giving up everything is what makes us salt. Does everybody see that? See how it's qualified? Give up everything and become salt. That's what he's trying to teach. In giving up everything, meaning what? I'm not pursuing the American dream. I'm pursuing God's purpose for my life. I'm pursuing his calling, his design for my life. That's what I'm after. I just happen to be a person who lives in America. Okay, some of you aren't hearing this very well today, I can tell. So, so looking back at the stories that Luke records before this passage demonstrates how giving up everything makes us all. 
Jesus is basically saying, I've been living this in front of you. I have given up every, I have given up the legalism of Judaism and I have given up. I am not receiving what Rome has to offer. And I have been living my life outside the margins of what both of those camps say is acceptable. I'm living the life that, so in essence, I have given up everything. I've given up on the Jewish Judaism, the legalism, and I've given up on the liberalism of Rome. Does anybody see any parallels for us today? So what does it look like? So we're gonna go back to the stories before the scripture that Luke recorded. What are the stories that he stacked? Everybody got that? What are the stories that he stacked to show how Jesus gave up everything? You ready for it? Okay, number one. And I'm gonna use us because as Christ followers, this is what we're supposed to be doing. So number one, everybody read it with me. We, we touch people that other people avoid. There was a guy who had leprosy. Now let me set this up. It's in Luke chapter five, verses 12 through 16. There were leper colonies. How did lepers survive? Lepers would have friends, they would have family members, and they would come to where the colony was, and there was a line. They would come up to the line, they would leave the food, the clothes, whatever the people who were in the leper colony would need, they would walk away. Then the people in the leper colony would approach that spot and retrieve all the items. That's how you made a living. First thing you, see this is context, right? Because if you don't know the context, you miss this. This leper is where Jesus is. Jesus didn't go to the leper colony. This guy's left the camp. That's dangerous. Because people thought leprosy was contagious and it would even be transferred by the wind. And you had a legal right to stone a leper if he was even upwind of you. Because the wind blowing off of him, blowing towards you, they thought you could get it. So even if the leper was upwind of you, you had a right to cast stones to the point if he didn't respond or she didn't respond, you had, you had the right even to kill them by stoning. So this leper has left the colony. I can only imagine what that journey to get to Jesus must have looked like. Covert, in and out of alleyways, trying to hide, probably covered up. And when he comes to Jesus, this is critical. How many know Jesus could have said, be healed? But what does it say Jesus did? It says, he reached out his hand and what? He hadn't had that in a long time. Sometimes the wounds that need healed aren't the ones you can see. They're the ones on the inside. You can touch and heal the leprosy, but sometimes the scars of leprosy is left in a person's life. And Jesus understood this guy needs more than just to be healed of leprosy. He needs human contact. Now here's the thing. Jesus touching a leper, according to Judaism, made him unclean. There's only one issue that happened here. It went in reverse order. Jesus made him clean. <laughs> <laughs> nobody in Judaism had accounted for that. It was always, it was just an automatic. You touch a leper, you're unclean, you got it. Nobody ever dreamed that you touching somebody would make them clean. 
We go, listen, we handle, we go touch people that nobody else wants to deal with. Let me give you a story. I've shared this over the years, but I'll give it, give it again. When I was pastoring in Indiana, the AIDS thing hit. And of course, everybody's freaked out. Nobody knew how it spread. Everybody's accusing, you know, this. And it was almost like you can't, it was almost like leprosy. You can't be downwind of these people. We hear, how many know uh, rumors are never short in the absence of, you, you can be downwind and that AIDS will blow. If, if, if they touch you, you've got AIDS. I was pastoring in the town where I grew up, where I went to school. One of the high school teachers that I had had gotten AIDS and he was put in the hospital and he asked to see me. Everybody was more than willing to weigh in saying, that's not a good idea, don't do it. This is a mysterious disease drug or thing going on. Don't, ex don't expose yourself, don't do that. My wife had, and I had this conversation and I said, isn't that why we were put here? Yeah, I followed the protocol. I put on gloves, I put on a mask, I put on a gown. I wasn't stupid, but I did what I could. But I thought, you know what? This is why we exist. Because nobody would go in and see him. Not even his own family. And after all, he got it through a behavior that he should have never been engaged in. So I went in, prayed with him, he accepted Jesus. A few days later, he died. Man, I took heat. You've exposed yourself. How do we know you don't have it? How do we know that you're not giving us this disease? I took heat. We touch people that nobody else will touch. I'm not saying we go out and we're foolish. I'm not saying that we're ignorant. I'm not saying that we don't pay attention to the truth when it is the truth versus rumor. But church, that's what we do. We don't coward. We don't run. If you do any kind of history, the black plague was put in check because of Christians. Everybody's fleeing the towns and the Christians ran to the towns and took care of the people who had the plague. And some of the things that they did actually helped to stop it. When people run, we walk in it. That's salt. Salt goes where there's infections. Salt goes where it's bad. Now, see, we're okay as long as the missionaries do that. That's why we give them money to represent me. I'll pay a missionary, I'll support a missionary to take the risk on my behalf. Because after all, me giving is just as good as me being there. Well, we've got so many justifications to dodge personal involvement. Okay, I can always tell when it's time to move on. Number two, read it out loud. We help people. We help people get a new momentum in life. Do we help people? Yeah, but in the end, we're not just about helping people. We're helping them to get a momentum that they've lost that's created the need. Until they get their momentum back, they're always going to be in need. And so it's not just meet the need. It's how do I get you to have some momentum so we can eliminate this need? So we have the story of Jesus forgiving and healing a paralyzed man. This paralyzed man needs four guys to move him around. It takes four guys to carry him. 
And Jesus says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. There are two significant changes here. When he was healed, he did not ask somebody to carry his mat for him. He carried it himself. That's what we do in Christianity. We help people get back on their feet so they can carry their own mat. And notice what changed, what he said. Because as a paralyzed man, this is what you would get when you went by him. Alms, alms, have mercy on me. Alms, that was his daily speech. Alms for the poor, alms for the paralyzed. Alms, help me, please have mercy on me. His language has changed because now he's going home praising God. We help people get a new momentum. Listen, we're about helping you. But it's not just about helping you. It's about addressing the things that have positioned you to be in a position where you need help. We want to help you get over that and get self-sustaining. And listen, and you need to position yourself so that you can go help somebody else. We don't want you to just to be able to tread water. We want you to get going to where you can help other people who fall into the same pit, the same difficulty, the same crisis. And, and especially of all the people who should know how to talk to them, it'll be you because you can say, been there, done that. And you can also talk to them about the hard decisions that need to be made. Because we all know what that's like to have to have a conversation with somebody who's in need and you say, hey, you understand I'm here to help you to get back on your feet. I'm not here to help you and sustain you the rest of your life. I'm helping you to get up, carry your mat, and start praising God to where you don't have to keep asking for help. That's discipleship. Everybody said amen. amen. Number three, read it out loud. We reach people that other people have given up on. In Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26, Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. This is Matthew, a tax collector. Now, Matthew always calls himself Matthew. It is Luke that attributes to him that he's Levi. They, they, they use different terminologies. Why? Because, Jesus, or because Matthew was the son of a Levite priest, and he was designated to become a priest, except... He decided to go work for the Romans in the taxation business. He went to work for the occupying army. So he did two things. He betrayed his country and he betrayed his faith. So yeah, his parents would have considered him in Judaism, he's dead. He's no longer a member of our family. In fact, if you mention him, we'll say, we don't have a son by that name. So Matthew always calls himself Matthew because he understands that he has disgraced the family and he's never, he does not deserve to be called the son of Alphaeus Levi. He understands that. Luke, on the other hand, knows the transformation that's happened in Matthew's life and he begins to bestow the title back on him. It's an interesting parallel when you look at those two gospels telling the same story and why does one use one name and why does one use the other? And Luke is saying, oh no, you deserve to have the name back, man, because you've been changed. You've been transformed by the power of God. So how does that relate to us today? 
I'm going to stick my neck out. Is that okay? All eight of you. Okay. Matthew's a preacher's kid. Everybody gave up on that guy. Everybody. Except Jesus. Some of the toughest nuts to crack in our society are former pastor kids and former missionary kids. You say, oh my, pastor, can't believe you said that. Well, that's because I am one. I'm a pastor's kid. We got all the stories to defend why we do what we do and why we see what we see. We have every, every excuse in the world to go, yeah, I know that's what you see in public, but I can probably tell you what he's like behind the scenes. I can probably tell you what they're like behind the scenes because my dad was a pastor. My dad was a missionary. My mom was, a, was on staff. I, I know, I know. I re it's all an act. Wait till they get in the car. And I look at pastors' kids and missionaries' kids and I say, you got one problem. Me. Because I remember the day I had to ask Jesus, would you please restore my innocence about your church and about your people? I'm not gonna deny that I wasn't hurt, that I wasn't wounded. I'm not gonna fake it. I'm not going to act like I didn't hear what I heard. I'm not going to act like what, I'm not going to act like I didn't see what I saw. But I refuse to recount those stories and let them poison myself to death. Just because you set poison in front of me does not mean I have to drink it. And I, everybody knows, I don't know everybody who's in the building today, right? Because I know somebody's going to go, he sees me. He knows I'm here. No, I don't. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. You've got a, somebody, somebody ratted out to him that I'm here. I know how they manipulate this. You know, I have no clue who you are. I have no idea about your story. For one time in your life, you're hearing something legitimate with no strings attached. You drank the poison, and if you don't quit it, it's going to kill you. It'll destroy you. It will destroy the things in your, the relationships that you have around you. Because if a perfect God can't make you happy, your friends and family don't have a prayer. It's just a matter of time before the poison that you've drank makes it onto their plate. Ask Jesus to restore your innocence. We don't give up on people. We may have to distance ourselves because of the harm that they're doing to people, and, but I, God will always send people in. And you gotta know, whether you're a pastor's kid or a missionary's kid, I got no skin in the game with you. I don't know who you are. I don't know who your stories. I don't know. All I can tell you is this. You better get rid of the poison or it's going to eat you alive. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same gospel we preach to everybody else. It needs to be your gospel too. And everybody said amen. 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 Number four. How many of you I got? I don't know. I got a bunch today. Here we go. Number four. Read it out loud. We reach people. 
We reach people that consider themselves our enemy. Jesus healed a Roman centurion's servant. You do know that this is an occupying army who is, today they would be called war crimes. They just haven't conquered the people. They're committing war crimes. And here's a centurion who is responsible to get or, give orders on behalf of what Rome is doing, and Jesus heals this guy's servant. What is he doing helping the enemy? Did you know that we help people? They tell, I don't consider them my enemy, but they'll tell me that they're my enemy. We, have, we help people who say that they are the enemies of Christianity. What's our response? Put up walls, barriers? No. When we see them in need, we go help them. Some of you saw on the missions we helped in the earthquake of Syria and Turkey. Some of you are going, uh, isn't that strong Islamic territory? Yeah. What are we doing helping them? Uh, practicing our faith? Practicing it? Doing what Jesus did? Being salt? That's what we're doing? We step in arenas where they don't even like us and say we're here to help anyway. But I don't like you, that's okay. We're here to help anyway. We're here to impact your life. Hey, Jesus said love your enemies. He didn't say tolerate them. He didn't say to marginalize them. Figure out how you can serve them. Last point, read it out loud. We facilitate God's forgiveness in a way that helps people become a new creation. This is about a woman who came to Jesus, anointed him, and Jesus forgave her. It's easy to get this story confused with another story where Martha, or Mary, who was Martha's sister, came and did that to Jesus. And there's, there's actually two anointings that happened. The story of Mary, that was in Bethany. And we know her name. This is up in Galilee, up north. This is a, we, we, we assume by the context of the story, she's an immoral woman, a prostitute, but we never get her name. And Jesus says this to her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Wow. Jesus gave forgiveness, helping her to become a new creation. When we were pastoring in Indiana, it was on a Sunday, somebody came to me, said, Pastor, you need to know something. Um, I'm just gonna use her first name. They said, Sharon's here from, or Sharon's here. And, I, I, and they told me the last name and I recognized. I said, why do I know that name? I know that name. They said, well, her husband's in prison uh, because of some organized crime things. She's here. I said, you gotta be kidding me. She's here with her granddaughter. I said, oh. So Sharon ran the strip joint in town. So I look at my wife, I said, Sharon's here. She goes, oh, I know, I invited her. 
really? She goes, yeah, I was just driving by the other day and decided to go in and invite her. She goes, it was noon. <laughs> they weren't open, but I, I went up and doors unlocked and I walked in the strip joint and I said, I, I'm here to see Sharon. They took her back to Sharon. Sharon said, hi, I'm, I'm Lisa Hackett. My husband pastors the church. I just want to invite you to church. She goes, nobody's ever invited me to church. She goes, well, I'm inviting you. And Sharon came, brought her granddaughter. Over the, over the subsequent months, Sharon would bring the girls to church. Because Sharon said, look, I, I don't like what they do, but at least I'm giving them a chance to have a roof over their head and food on the table. Because if, if it wasn't for this, so I... So she would bring them to church and that was a challenge because many of them didn't have what you would deem appropriate outfits. And some of them began to accept Jesus. And my, my wife and some of the ladies had to hurry up and sew some blankets because sometimes they would come forward as long as they remained standing, it was fine. It's when they knelt. And so one of the ladies would hurry up and cover them with the blanket so that, has everybody just got the mental picture there, right? I had people come to me. Do you know who's here in church today? I said, yes, I do. I had somebody come and tell me there's two strippers with Sharon today. What are you gonna do about it? I said, well, I told you how I know they're here. I wanna know how you know them. I was never asked that again. <laughs> true, that's true, right? I mean, I'm, my wife, I, seriously, that was my, and it's just like, wow, I just gave it up, didn't you? Yeah, you just gave it up, buddy. <laughs> Years later, we found one of those girls that was connected to our church down in Florida, and she'd opened a house called Beauty to Ashes. And she'd worked a rapport with the strip joints where she could go in and go backstage with a bouquet of roses and a, a nice basket of food and would give each one of those girls a basket and some roses and just say, and she would say, I used to be you. When you're ready to get out of this lifestyle, I've got a house, beauty to ashes. You will not end up on the street. I have a place for you. We help people become new creations. And she had amazing favor. She said, they, she said, they rarely deny me. And when I go in and say, hey, I'd like to give these to the girl, they go, absolutely. These girls need all kinds of help. We know that. Sure, go backstage, help. We help people become a new creation. We give up our safety, we give up our time, we give up everything so that we can do these things. Because in giving up everything, we become salt. Because now we have the time and the resource to make a difference. But you gotta give it up, man, and stop making it all about you. And everybody say amen.
Come on, stand to our feet as we wrap up the service. Come on, can you just lift your hands and praise him? Praise him for being a God who changes people. He changes people in this place. Come on, thank him for that this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Listen, we're gonna wrap up the service a little bit differently. I'm gonna ask some of our connection group leaders and church leadership team, would you make your way to the front right now? And Pastor Malik, we're gonna sing that song. And as we're singing it, man, I love this song. Some of you need to come and say, hey, I'm, I'm here to accept Jesus. Would you lead me in prayer? I'm gonna accept Christ today. Some of you others, you're, you need to come because some of these people I described, they're your friends and they're your family. You need to pray for them. You need to ask God to give you wisdom. Some of you, I believe this, I believe some ideas were just birthed this morning. Some of you have an idea on how to go to touch a group of people that nobody wants to touch. You ought to come for prayer and say, hey, pray with me over this idea. Help me so that I know what to do. And some of you are former pastor's kids. Some of you are former missionary kids. And you need Jesus to give you a new heart and a new mind. It's time to get rid of the poison. As we sing, whatever it is that you need, I want you to make your way. Come on, sing it. Your name is healing. Your name is life. So break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your and I'm going to say the blessing and we're going to go. But as people are headed out that direction, I know this. Some of you are going to pause where you're standing and trying to make a decision. Do I need to go forward or am I just going to go out the door? Let me tell you something. While everybody's going that way, have the courage to step in the aisle and come this way and let somebody pray for you. Come on, lift your hands this morning as I say the blessing and we'll be dismissed. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that are rising up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything that you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Your name is